Well, good morning. Take your Bible, if you will, and turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to pause from our study in the book of Acts this morning. And uh, many of you may recognize the third Sunday in January as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And I want to ask you a question this morning as we go into the message, and that is, do you matter? Do you matter? Now, most of us are very selfish, and I'll put myself at the top of the list. I have no problem in answering that question. Yes, I matter. I matter very much. But maybe I should ask another question that may be a little more difficult to answer, and that is, does everybody matter? Does everybody matter? And I hope we can answer that question this morning from God's Word and some other sources as well. And that's really what the sanctity of human life, that whole phrase, it's, it's, a, it's a charged phrase in our culture. And some people view, as a matter of fact, our very denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. If you go way back to the 70s, uh, when Roe versus Wade was first decided... The Southern Baptist Convention, unfortunately, at that time was on a slow and steady downward trend toward liberalism, like many of the other great evangelical denominations through the years. And their answer to that was, well, that's a political issue. That's not anything for us to be involved in. And I have to give some kudos to uh, some of our friends that I don't agree with on some of their doctrine, but I have to take my hat off to our Roman Catholic friends because you can say one thing for them. From the very beginning of that issue up until today, they have been very consistent in defending the sanctity of human life. Now, thank God our denomination, the Southern Baptists, they had a bit of a resurgence in the 80s of somewhat of a battle. We won't go into all that. You can look it up and read about it later. Uh, but there was what, what they call a conservative resurgence in the 80s, and uh, conservatism took hold in the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, since then the Southern Baptist Convention has stood for the sanctity of human life. But I want to share with you that this is not a political issue. There are some issues that are political issues. You don't like your taxes? Well, that's not a moral issue. That's a political issue because Jesus settled that, remember? Uh, they were going to try to get him involved in a political hot-button issue of the day. And uh, they brought a coin to him and said, well, they didn't bring coin to him. They brought a question to him and they said, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus' answer was, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. He says, whose image is on that coin? And they said, Caesar's. He says, well, you give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and you give God what belongs to God. Now, your taxes is a political issue. But the sanctity of life, and that is, do you matter? And more than that, does everybody matter? Does human life matter? That is a moral issue. That is an issue that God speaks very clearly and very plainly about in Scripture. So, you know, I want us to talk about that just a minute. And we've talked about this every year since I've been here. But I always think we need to be reminded as we begin to choose what worldview we want to embrace. If you want to embrace... Uh, the secular worldview, the evolutionist worldview, then uh, bless your heart because uh, I hope you're encouraged because it basically tells you that we all started out as pond scum and at some point we got tired of being pond scum and amoeba and we, we grew some fins and we started swimming around in that primordial 
uh, ooze and that mud. And then we got tired of swimming around and we sprouted some legs and we crawled up on a muddy bank somewhere in the middle of a swamp and we began to wiggle around in the mud. And at some point, uh, we got some arms and we started climbing trees. Now, some of you, I can believe that your ancestors. I heard one guy say his ancestor, he says, my ancestors may have swung from a tree because they were a horse thief, but they never swung from a tree because they were a monkey. I can tell you that. Well, I don't know about some of you. I might have my doubts, but... But that's what evolutionists tell us. I mean, they tell us that we started out as pond scum and we're on the way to becoming fertilizer and you can take your pick as what's in between. That's basically you right now. And that's basically it. But the Bible tells us and Christianity teaches us a very different truth that we are not an accident. By the way, uh, we don't have time to get into this, but I did want to stop here and, and, and just make this comment. Uh, if we were to give evolutionists the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, so let's, we'll, just, we'll just give you the benefit of the doubt that that's what happened. Well, even if that's what happened, and I don't believe that's what happened, but if we give them the benefit of the doubt, what I want to know is who wrote the rule book? Who said that the survival of the fittest should happen? Who put that program in there that that thing sprouted legs and sprouted wings and sprouted arms and, you know, how did the Cro-Mangan man become D.W.? I don't know. I mean, that's, some of you say, well, that was pretty easy. You didn't have far to go. I don't know. But how did that happen? How exactly did that happen? So anyway, we don't have time to get into that. But I will tell you that the Bible teaches us that you matter. And you don't matter because you have a lot of money. You don't matter because you have an important position. You don't matter because of who your parents were. You don't matter because everybody loves you. You don't matter because you're smart. You don't matter because you're good looking. The Bible says that you matter because you are made in the image of God. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, well, we don't have time here, but I will say there's only two genders there, by the way. Male and female created he them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then again in Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So you matter, my friend, because you're made in the image of God. And when we understand that truth, you know, the Bible's very clear. Peter and Paul and Jesus, all in the New Testament, over and over they said, Do not be a respecter of persons. It's just human nature. I mean, have you looked at the advertisements lately? You watch Fox News and CNN? I guess this is kind of a crude way to say it, but an ugly person doesn't have a chance, do they? I mean, really. I mean, everybody now is so intrigued by image. You've got to be beautiful. You've got to be good-looking. They put all the good-looking folks on TV. Why? Because it's human nature. You're scrolling through the channels, and you see a beautiful person. You're just going to stop there and look at them for a minute, right? Well, I'm sorry, that's just me. Maybe you don't do that. But that's human nature. 
That's what people do. We value beauty. We value intelligence. That's our nature. And we value that more. But the Bible is very clear that everybody is important. doesn't matter what people think your value is. You're important not because of what you offer to society, but the Bible teaches and Christianity, our faith teaches us, that you matter because of where you came from. You're made in the image of God. God has a purpose for your life. You were born for a reason. That's what the Bible teaches us. And we must take hold of that. And that's why we believe that life is sacred. Now when we talk about the sanctity of human life, everybody immediately thinks about abortion. And that's certainly true. And one of the reasons we all think about that because those that are aborted cannot speak for themselves. They can't defend themselves. We talk about euthanasia. That is, you know, go ahead and, 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 and taking people out when they're sick or, or they're elderly or, or, you know, they just don't want to live anymore. Well, they can at least speak for themselves. Many of them can, at least up to a certain point. But the Bible is clear and plain that human life is sacred. So we're talking about abortion. We're talking about euthanasia. We're talking about suicide. Some folks say, well, I don't want to live anymore. But listen, I just want to share with you, that's not your decision to make. Your life is not your own. God gave you your life. And you cannot simply stop your life because you don't feel like living anymore. Your life is a gift from God. And so suicide is not the answer. And murder, of course, the Bible's very clear. You look a couple of places, Genesis 4, verse 9, the very first murder in the Bible, and the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now there's a principle for you very early in Scripture, before the Mosaic Law was ever given uh, we're talking about the first few chapters of Genesis. God made a statement, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And there, there's this idea in Scripture that when violence is done to a human being, when, when a person's life is taken, that there is a cry of vengeance. You go all the way to Revelation. Go all the way. This is Genesis here. We just read that. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Fast forward all the way to Revelation. And you've got that picture where John had the vision. And you've got the saints who've been martyred. They've been murdered for their faith. And their spirits are in heaven. And what are they doing? They say, how long, O Lord? How long before you avenge our blood upon those that dwell upon the earth? There's the idea all the way from Genesis to Revelation that when violence is visited upon a human being, that the blood of that person cries out to God for justice. Matter of fact, in the law as it was given, uh, you turn over actually in Genesis before the law, actually Genesis chapter 9. Here the Bible says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. From the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. You matter. God says that if your life is taken, your blood is shed, God will require that blood at the hand of somebody. You're important. Every human being matters. Now I want to give you a couple of passages from Psalm 139. We're going to be in a couple of different places uh, today, but we'll begin in Psalm 139, verse 13. And we're talking now specifically 
about abortion. We're going to focus on that for just a few minutes in Psalm 139, verse number 13. There the psalmist says, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. And then several other passages in Scripture, and I've given you many of these passages before. But this speaks of the value. And some people say, yeah, I agree. Human life is, is valuable. Human life is sacred. But once they're born, you know, I, I don't know that the Bible says anything about a fetus, about an unborn human child. Does that really matter? Well, let me give you a couple of passages. Jeremiah 1.5. This is Jeremiah speaking. And the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49 verse 1. Isaiah says, The Lord has called me from the womb and from the bowels of my mother has he made mention of my name. Luke chapter 1. The angel speaking about John the Baptist as he's speaking to Elizabeth who was carrying John the Baptist. He says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. This same John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 verse 41. I saw somebody posted this on Facebook. I thought it was great. It says, next to Mary, remember that the first person that recognized Jesus was an unborn child. Listen, Luke chapter 1 verse 41. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary... The babe leaped in her womb. It's talking about John the Baptist who was in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary came up to Elizabeth who was her cousin and, and, and she, she shouted at her, Hey Mary, hey Elizabeth. He says, The babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And then Paul, over in Galatians 1.15, Paul said, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace. And then Psalm 127, just a... A, a picture of the value of children. Remember, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. In Psalm 127, verse 3, the psalmist says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So there's some Bible Scriptures for you. If you have any doubt about where the Bible stands, where, where our faith stands on the unborn child, there you have Isaiah and Jeremiah and Luke and you have Paul speaking uh, that the unborn child is a human being. The unborn child being filled with the Holy Spirit. The unborn child being set apart to serve God. Well, there's another bit of evidence or another part I think I would give to you. Not just scripture, but science. And I've quoted this before. This is Harrison Hickman, who is a pollster for the National Abortion Rights Action League. 
This is an old quote, really, from 1989, and technology has advanced much more since then. But he said this at the National Abortion Rights uh, League Convention. He said, Probably nothing has been as damaging to our cause as the advances in technology which have allowed pictures of the developing fetus because people now talk about the fetus in much different terms than they did 15 years ago. They talk about it as a human being, which is not something that I have an easy answer on how to cure. And you may have seen, I've showed this video before, but it's such a great video, I think it bears seeing again. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. So why don't we take a moment and watch this video, The Miracle of Life. If you can start that and play that, play that video, The Miracle of Life. We'll take about three or four minutes and uh, watch that.
those, of course, actual pictures from the womb and uh, of a small baby developing in the womb of the mother. So that's, that's just science. That, that's a human being. That is a human being who is growing. Well, there, there's one last thing I want to share with you, a reason that we should, we should have a sanctity of human life, and that's simply God's sovereignty. Now, there's a principle in Scripture that's very important. And that principle is that often people, when they, when they disobey God, they ignore what God has to say, and they turn away from His law, they often do so because they claim, I want freedom. I want freedom. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. I'm not going to live by these set of rules and nobody's going to tell me this is wrong. Who are you to say this is wrong? I don't accept your view of morality. I don't accept what you say. I don't agree with that. And often when they do that in order to find freedom, instead of finding freedom, they find the very thing that they thought they were escaping. They find slavery. And, you know, the Bible talks about professing to be wise, they became fools. There's an article that was written in April of 2018 in the Washington Post. Now, I, some of you may not be familiar with the Washington Post, but let me just tell you, it is not an evangelical publication. The, the Washington Post is not even a conservative publication. It's known as a somewhat liberal publication. It has no sympathies for evangelical Christianity, for our scripture, or for cons what we might call conservative ideals. But this is a Washington Post piece. And the title of the article, the title of the piece is Too Many Men. Too Many Men. Now, I'm just gonna, I'm, I apologize, but I'm going to quote from the article. Okay, I'm going to quote a little bit from this article. It says, Nothing like this has happened in human history. A combination of cultural preferences, government decree, and modern medical technology in the world's two largest countries have created a gender imbalance on a continental scale. Men outnumber women by 70 million in China and India. The consequences of having too many men now coming of age are far-reaching. Beyond an epidemic of loneliness, the imbalance distorts labor markets, drives up savings rates in China, and drives down consumption, artificially inflates certain property values, and parallels increases in violent crime, trafficking, and prostitution in a growing number of locations. These consequences are not confined to China and India, but reach deep into their Asian neighbors and distort the economies of Europe and the Americas as well. Barely recognize the ramifications of too many men are only starting to come into sight. In the future, there will be millions of men who can't marry and that could pose a very big risk to society, warns Li Shua, I'm sorry, I'm not good with Chinese names, a le not good with English ones either, actually, a leading demographer at Zhang Tong University. Out of China's population of 1.4 billion, there are nearly 34 million more males than females, the equivalent of almost the entire population of California or Poland, who will never find wives and only rarely have sex. China's official one-child policy, in effect from 1979 to 2015, was a huge factor in creating this imbalance as millions of couples were determined that their child 
Their only child should be a son. India, a country that has a deeply held preference for sons and male heirs, has an excess of 37 million males according to the most recent census. The number of newborn female babies compared with males has continued to plummet even as the country grows more developed and prosperous. The imbalance creates a surplus of bachelors and exasperates human trafficking both for brides and possibly prostitution. Officials attribute this to the advent of sex-selective technology. Remember, this is a liberal publication. No doubt liberal authors. It's hard for them to say abortion. They can't hardly voice it. But they say sex-selective technology in the last 30 years, which is now banned, they don't mean abortion. That's why they didn't say abortion. They mean a sonogram to tell if it's a male or a female. And then they decide if they're going to have an abortion if it's a female. He says, which is now banned but still in widespread practice. In the two countries, 50 million excess males are under age 20. The number of young boys in India and China has outpaced the number of young girls by millions for the last 20 years. And the effects on marriage have yet to peak. The biggest gap between men and women of marriageable age, defined here as 15 to 29, will come in the next few decades as the babies of the past decade grow up. And here's a story of an Indian mother that this article gives. She has seven sons in a small village in India. It says, By the time her eldest son Sanjay, now 38 and a cook, reached marriageable age, the practice of families in her area sneaking off to larger cities for an illegal sonogram and then an abortion had taken its toll. When she and her husband began seeking matches for arranged marriage, still the norm in India, there were no suitable brides. The few young women had all married, that is, those who hadn't left for better opportunities elsewhere. And listen to this, what this woman says. She says, These days, Om Pati, that's her name, now 60, spends her days cooking and cleaning for her husband and adult sons who range from 22 to 38. They gobble up so many rotuses, that's a flat brown bread loaf that are a household staple, each one shaped in her calloused hands, that she goes through several pounds of flour a day. There is no other option, she said. It's not in our hands. And I thought about that phrase. It's not in our hands. You see, it's amazing the way God created this world that when babies are conceived, remarkably, they are very consistent. There's a balance when left to nature of male to female. That's very close. And you know, man, we have a way of messing things up and, and we try to kill each other off in wars and other ways. But even with wars, maybe the male population decreases and, and it's a few million out of whack for a generation or so. But within a generation, it rebalances itself and male and female. But guess what? We're smarter than God, right? We know what we want for ourselves. And these cultures in India and China especially... They love boys but for several reasons, for cultural reasons and, and financial reasons. And they say, you can only have one child. And those that are wealthy enough say, well, it's got to be a boy. And, and they would go for a sonogram when they got pregnant. And, and if it's a girl, poof, that baby's gone. And they go again and they try again. And finally they'll get a boy. Well, here's the consequence. And here's what's amazing. I mean, you talk about irony. How many did it say? 70 million? That means there's 70 million babies who were aborted. You know what their crime was? 
What was their crime? Why were they not allowed to live? You know what it was? What was it? They were female. And how is it that those who call themselves feminists, who champion women's rights, who are the loudest and the most vocal for abortion rights, their cause and, and, and their push, they have presided over the largest holocaust, if you will, of women in the history of the world. There's never been a holocaust of people who simply killed women. As a matter of fact, if we look at the history of the world, uh, you ladies were often spared. Now, you might have been sold into slavery and become somebody's, you know, went into somebody's harem, but when they came in and conquered a people, they killed all the men. And they might have let the young women survive. But yet, in our enlightened age, when we know more than God, we know more than He knows, and, and feminists and those who say, we're for women's rights, we want a woman to have a right for an abortion. Well, see, they're thinking... Well, I want this young woman in college who gets pregnant and she's not ready to start a family. I want her to be able to have an abortion. Or this person who gets raped, I want them to be able to have an abortion. But my friend, when we make a decision and we go outside what God has said is right and wrong, there are unintended consequences. Remember, you can, you can do whatever you want to do, but you can't choose the consequences of what you do. And the unintended consequence of this is it gets out into the world. Everybody doesn't have the same values as you have. And in these countries... They want a boy. And they don't care how many baby girls they abort because they're just, it's not going to matter. It's just my family. It's just because just I want a boy and not a girl. That doesn't matter. You multiply that times millions of families and, and we've got a real problem. I mean, I'm a man, but I don't want to live in a place where there's 70 million more men than there are women. Bar the doors, folks. Men can be wicked and violent and vile. And, and especially when they don't have a wife. And that's what you've got. And the sovereignty of God. You don't know better than God. Now I know some of you in here are real smart. I can look at you and tell. You can tell intelligence by looking at somebody's eyes. You know that, don't you? I know some of you in here are real smart. And some of you might even be saying, I can't believe, Brother William, they would do that. I can't believe it. That's so sad. Well, let me ask you a question. In what area of your life have you heard God give a clear, distinct voice and command? But yet in your mind, you've said, eh, some folks need to hear that, but not me. Not me. I'm, I'm too smart for that. It's okay for me. Maybe for others it might be, but it's not for me. My friend, the principle is the same. God is sovereign. And you ignore His command and His will at your peril. When God says, thou shalt not, He's saying, don't hurt yourself. This will harm you. This is not what I created you for. This is not what will do you good. Do not, thou shalt not, don't hurt yourself. And when He says, thou shalt, He's saying, help yourself. When He says, love your enemy, He's saying, Help yourself. When he says it's better to give than, than it's better to, to, to give than to receive, he's saying, help yourself. This is what makes for a happy person, for a person who has peace in their heart, for a person who can lay it lay down at night and go to bed. When you obey my command, thy word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You ever been in a dark place? You ever been scared at night? 
I know I'm the only coward here, but, but, but if you've ever been scared at night, there's something about a light. Turn the light on. And, and the Bible says God's Word in a dark world, in a dark place, His Word is a light that keeps you from falling into pit after pit after pit. So my friend, do you matter? Yes, you matter. Does that person with Down syndrome matter? Yes. Does that unborn child, that little girl in India or China matter? Yes. Does that person of a different race matter? Yes. Does that person you don't like matter? Yes. Why do they matter? Because they're made in the image of God. And God commands us to respect life. Because we matter. And everyone matters because we're made in His image. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we are not the product of random chance. But God, Your Word tells us that we are made in the image of God. That mankind has a purpose, an eternal purpose. And Father, I pray for each one here that each one here would find that purpose for which we are created. God, that we would have that fellowship with You and we would live our life not in a selfish way, seeking what we may gain for our own benefit. But God, we would live our life in an unselfish way, seeking to serve others and to give of what You bless us with. Not to be a stagnant pond, but to be a flowing river who receives from You and lets that go out into a world that is thirsty for the water of life. We pray this, Father. There's one here that does not know You. I pray that, Lord, when they look at the cross, they will see how much they matter, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's one here who doesn't know the love of Jesus. I pray they would come today and yield their life to Him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're here today, you do matter. You matter to God. He sent Jesus to die for you. Maybe you want to come. You've never made a public profession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I invite you to come this morning. I'll be glad to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to come pray. You have a burden. You want to pray for yourself or for someone. You feel free to come to this altar as we stand and sing. 350.